This episode is brought to you by Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for interior design pros. To find out more information, head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey kids, and welcome to Design by Wingnut Social. I'm your host, interior decorator, Darla Jethro-Powell, and this show is all about marketing and running your interior design business. And today's guest, Samantha Bradshaw of Inline Legal, is talking to us today about the sexy-ass topic (laughs) of trademarking and copywriting your interior design business. And she had some very interesting insight on if you're going to trademark or copyright anything in your business where do you delegate those funds? You be really surprised about what you probably should, right? Copyright and trademark, but what can we afford to copyright or trademark and where should we be focusing those funds? That she talks about that among other things in our conversation today. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Before I get into that, of course, Instagram for interior designers, the reviews are pouring in, rave reviews. I have had (laughs) students who have purchased this course who said, you may have made a mistake putting this course out. You may have talked yourself out of a job, (laughs) which is, it's great to hear. I'd love to hear that because that was the idea of putting out the course. It is for the interior designer on a DIY level to be able to replicate what we do here on behalf of our clients. If you're at that stage, right, to where you can't delegate it and take that off your plate and have experts do that for you. So that was terrific news, terrific feedback in our Facebook group, Facebook support group, just for Wingnut Academy for the course that we have for that. And the course is completely online, digital, do it at your own pace, your very own pace, at your own speed. You don't have to show up on time for any lectures or webinars or anything like that. And it's really well received so far as the word of mouth is spreading on this course. So you want to get in there, get in on the uh, introductory launch price of $12.97. You sign one client from Instagram for that. You've, you've got a return on investment, what, 10, 20, 30 times, depending on your design fees. It really is a no-brainer, folks. And guess what? There's a money-back guarantee. Yeah, exactly. It, there is win-win. There's no way you can lose by purchasing this course. If you finish this course, you implement the strategies contained within the course. If in within 90 days, you don't increase your following reach and engagement, we'll refund your money. No questions asked. So get on over there, get that course, increase your Instagram following, get some leads from Instagram, wingnutsocial.com, or you can hit up wingnutacademy.com. Both will get you there. Uh, You will not be disappointed. All right, that's enough about the course. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Samantha Bradshaw. Samantha thrives, thrives, I tell you people, on the contagious passion from fellow business owners. She uses this to help get them in line. I see what you did there, Samantha, by creating the confidence and legal foundation necessary in any successful business. Inline Legal delivers affordable price, predictable, and convenient legal services to your business So you can focus on actually running it, delegating people. What have I told you about? Delegate outside your scope of genius. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Samantha Bradshaw to the show. Hey there, Samantha Bradshaw. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? 
Not too bad. Grateful that I'm not covered in kitten poo right now. <laughs> well, that's something I thank the Lord uh, for every day, <laughs> that I am not covered in kitten poo. It's one of my top three. <laughs> there's got to be a story there. Oh, of Go course ahead, there's a us. story. We're fostering four kittens right now. So there's kitten Aww. poo everywhere. <laughs> I shouldn't say everywhere. They're figuring out how to use a litter box still. So it's a little messy here. How do you foster four kittens and not want to adopt them all? I get the feeling one of them will probably stay. But we have a, a fat, diabetic, uh, cancer-fighting cat who got first dibs on the house. And whoever he decides he doesn't hate might get the chance to stay long term. So like a cage match, maybe? Can we do we, it like that? I don't know how good that is for like stress levels for cancer-ridden cat, but it would be fascinating to watch. It could give him a reason to live. It could. He could find a new passion it's for possible. cage. <laughs> Cat MMA. Boy, this is taking a sick this turn. This right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's pretty much how this show is going to go and yep. how they all go. So welcome. <laughs> welcome to being a wingnut. But Samantha, seriously, today we are talking about what can be sometimes a dry topic. We're talking about trademarking for your interior design business. And um, it's so important. And there's a lot of different facets that apply to trademarking. We might just think it's just your name for your business, Susan McNuggets Interiors, but it's imagery, it's logos, it's this, it's that. And there's a whole bunch to dive into here. And it's been a hot minute since we have. So are you game to educate the listeners on what the hell they need to do? I came prepared. <laughs> All righty. Very, very cool. So let's just dive in. So we don't, we're not selling widgets. We are selling product, but usually it's someone else's product. Every now and then you'll get designers that are making their own. But when you're a service-based business, you're actually going in, sweating the trenches, you're designing, you're, there's logistics and stuff. What is the first thing that we need to look at as far as trademarking our, our name for our business? So the very first thing I look at is not necessarily the name for the business, actually. It's the first question I ask all of my clients is, if you were referred, how did people refer you? Did they refer you by your personal name, the name that you were born with, because that's how you've been operating? Or have you created a brand that's larger than yourself? Or do they say that lady that talks about board games all the time, right? How do they acknowledge who you are when they're telling a friend about you? That's, for me, the starting point of a trademark, because the way that I evaluate legal protections like trademarks is I want to protect something that's actually making you money or will make you money. And hmm. the name of your business may not be that, but the name that people refer to you by and how they talk about you online is going to have more power. It may be your business name. That's distinctly possible, but that's not necessarily how I phrase the first question. That is really interesting insight. And, and that's insight that we haven't received here on the show before. So you're saying that if someone could say, maybe check out Wingnut Social for your marketing needs, but they're not saying that. They're saying, check out that crazy ex-cop turned interior designer turned marketer, then maybe that's what I should do. So then maybe maybe we should look at getting you social media handles that say that crazy ex-cop turned marketer turned social, social interior designer. But very right? specific, but who, yeah, but specific. people might be sorry. That is very interesting. So, okay, so let's let's use that as a jumping off point. Let's say Susan McNuggets, who's the official interior designer of the Wingnut Social podcast, uh, is getting referred, um, and her, her business is, let's say it's, you know, amazing sparkling interiors, but people are saying, no, you need to call Susan McNuggets. Susan McNuggets, are you saying that amazing sparkling interiors maybe can go without being trademarked and she's trademarking her name? What does that look like? I would say that 
service-based businesses, um, and particularly micro-businesses, which is normally what I work with, so businesses less than 25 people, 25 employees. Oh, okay. Not little tiny businesses No, no, no. Ants, We're not but, t- I mean, okay. I, it can be tiny businesses. We can talk solopreneurs, but up to, t- once you have 50 employees, let's be real, you have a legal budget that's set aside. You know what you're spending. Less than 25, it's an expense most business owners don't really want to think about. And I'm quite aware that there's a limited budget for my services, for legal services in general. So we try to match the return on investment to the actual investment. So that may mean that foregoing a trademark in one area makes more sense. If you have the budget, protect all the things, absolutely. But when you're having to prioritize the 10 million things that as a business owner, as a designer, as an employer that you have to pay out and take care of on a daily basis, the reality is we have to rank what's going to do better for you and your business right now. Hmm. That is really well put. And I appreciate that because that is a consideration. A lot of my audience are solopreneurs or just beginning to start their business. While we do have some firms that have all the budgets for all the things, that is really cool. So is there any is there any such thing as a blanket trademark at all? Or no, you do have to trademark your logo separately, your name separately, your maybe proprietary information separately. I wish how, how I wish that? there was. It would certainly yeah. make things easier. Um, in, in the United <laughs> States, we are a, a first-to-use jurisdiction, which that's a whole bunch of legal jargon, which just means the first person to use that name, that phrase, potentially that color or smell, if you're talking about Louis Vuitton red bottom shoes or the smell of Play-Doh, whatever makes your brand, whatever makes your business, your company distinctive and known to your clients is what's protectable under trademark law. Each one of those is a different piece to protect. Wow, that's crazy. And you have to protect it and then you have to update update it, right? And, Every and then few you have years. to enforce it. And then you have to enforce it. Yes, I did hear that. We had a we had a previous episode on. It's been a while. Who said that if you if you see somebody who is violating your trademark, mm-hmm. um, if you don't contest it or or say something about it, then that's really bad for you. Then that's just kind of a precedence that maybe that trademark isn't worth protecting. It is, and the idea is that once you get it, I mean, the best example of this is Disney. To be quite frank, Disney okay. is aggressive about shutting down every tiny Etsy creator Mm. if they have made some kind of fan art. They have entire law firms dedicated to searching all of these websites to find anything that could be infringing on Disney's copyrights or trademarks, either Mm. one of the two. There are different areas of law. Copyright protects content. Trademark protects names and brand identifiers for the most simplistic version I can give to you. But if Disney... And actually, they got into trouble about this uh, some years ago. They didn't aggressively chase down people who used the original Mickey Mouse. So a version of that is coming out into like open area in the coming years. Um, And that's exactly the idea. We protect this name. We protect this brand as long as you're actively using it. But if you're not actively using it, if you're not actively deciding that you're the only one that should be known by that brand name, why shouldn't we let some other business use it? Yeah, and that was that's shocking to me to learn that it's not just set it and for set it and forget it. Right? Is anything in business a set it or forget it? Any of it? (laughs) We would like to think so that we could do something one time, but then I don't know. Some software breaks. Instagram changes the whole algorithm. Somebody decides to change the the way that (laughs) 
Yeah, it never stops, I think. Yeah, that's true. Instagram never stops. That's another Mm. animal. So, okay, so let's talk about, again, going back to the interior designer and the Mm. service-based business. So we have the name. We have maybe some logos. What are some other examples of things, for the lack of a better word, that we should be thinking about trademarking as it relates as it relates or pertains to our business? Is there intellectual property that would apply here? Within intellectual property as a whole, we have trademarks which are designed to protect brand names, brand identifiers. We call them source identifiers is the legal term, but essentially it's anything that would let somebody know that the thing that you're selling is yours. And that can be the name of your interior design business. That can be the name of your signature product, right? If you have a, a particular thing where there was one designer, she was on TikTok for quite a while. She would convince people to give them her their apartments for, I think, a weekend and their credit card and nothing else. Complete free reign. That's a dream job. I think she had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> um <laughs> She wound up doing just friends' apartments at first, and of course, then it went viral, and she wound up with like some NFL players' apartment in Miami. It was glorious. Um, what she did to it was absolutely fantastic, by the way. I wish I could remember her name. Um, but maybe, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm making this up as I go. Maybe she has a name for that weekend, give me your credit card, you get no say, I'm just going to turn the space into the best space I can possibly imagine it being. Maybe she's got a name for that. Maybe she's become known for that. Then that's definitely something worth Mm -hmm. trademarking, even more so maybe than her business name, right? Because that's what she's better known for. Okay, so let let me dig into that a little bit. How specific of a name to her business and her particular process for that does that have to be before it can even qualify to trademark it? It's because I, let's say, for example, there's a lot of designers out there who are Mm -hmm. using designer for a day, which is a thing. Right. It is a process. It's something they do. It's a service that they offer, but a lot of people are using it. And designer for a day seems pretty generic. Yeah. Is that something someone could trademark? So when we've got a few levels here, right? First, we start talking okay. about the things that are worth trademarking at all. And yeah. then the question becomes, can it be trademarked? Mm-hmm. So the first step that I go through with people is exactly this. Is it worth trademarking at all? What's worth looking at in your business to even put the money into? Because then from there, if we found out your name's not trademarkable, then we can come up with a name that is. Hmm. So the way that trademark law works is essentially there is a spectrum of protectability. Things at the low end of the spectrum, trademark law decides that they're not protectable. Things at the high end of the spectrum, trademark law decides they are protectable. Hmm. Things in the middle get middle and iffy and all the answers that every every lawyer gives that says it depends that everybody hates us for. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's real and it does happen. But the best way to, to really explain that is the low end of the spectrum, we have things like generic names, purely descriptive names, purely descriptive identifiers. So if I say, yeah, design in a day, you're literally designing it in a day. If I could put it in a dictionary and really look up the definition of what you are doing, it's likely going to lean more towards that generic, descriptive Mm -hmm. kind of version of naming. At that point, if you get known as the person who created design in a day and like tens of thousands of people know you as the design in a day person, Mm -hmm. maybe, but it's going to be a fight with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. That's what I thought. Chances so the are burden, no. 
So the burden would have to be on you to prove that, yeah, yes. I'm, I invented this, or at least I'm known for this. It's, I'm the it's person the known. everybody goes to for that. It's specifically okay, so the known. I, had, I, I was interviewed for a podcast, or maybe I said it on this podcast. I can't remember. Somebody was asking me, maybe it was Luann Naguerre's podcast. I think that is what it was, uh, about trademarking our course that we have for interior designers. Mm -hmm. It's an online course mm -hmm. called Instagram for Interior Designers. And my gut reaction, being an attorney myself, no, I'm just kidding, was I think that that's too vague and it uses the word Instagram in there that I would not be able to trademark that as a course. But it is intellectual property that we have. Yes. T let's dig into that. Happily. So uh, your instinct is absolutely correct. Uh, most business owners, we have drilled intellectual property basics into mm -hmm. general media for so long that most business owners will have some idea of what they can and can't get away with. And you're absolutely correct with that. Instagram is not <laughs> yeah. going to let you use their name in something that makes you money. <laughs> without you getting massive permission from them. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah, the name itself is purely descriptive, right? Mm -hmm. It describes what you're doing in the clearest sense of the term. It, it, there is something called suggestive, which does can go well if you're the first person to, to go for that. Those names are easier to take, though, because they're easier to think of. But the difference between the two, the way that I like to think of it is if I handed it to a five-year-old, would they understand it immediately or would you kind of have to explain it to them? A five-year-old? Is that the bar? Hey, look, I, we can make it a 10-year-old if it makes you more comfortable, but it's, it it's that snap judgment of like, ah, gotcha. I got it. Right? If you're like, oh, I get it now, then we're leaning more to suggestive, which is more like we can, we can do that without proving that tens of thousands of people know that it's you selling that thing, that course under your name. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Instagram's never going to be cool with you yeah. using their name in a course. <laughs> see, I knew that. Well, at least yeah. I was right. That there, one, so that one not, you're on. <laughs> now let's see if I can pass the bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. You're doing better than a lot of attorneys already. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Um, womp womp. All right. Sorry. So, okay. So let's go back to what should you trademark if you do have limited funds? Is it, how do we determine what is the most important? I know you said how it is that it's people finding your business and it's generally not the logo part. Right. And let's say it is um it isn't your name maybe it's it, but that is the name of your business is that something or vice versa you know is, is that something that we really need to reconsider changing the name of our business if that's if that's the survey intake results so i will i will answer this question and then i want to go back to the previous one for just a minute because there's another sure. side of intellectual property especially for folks oh. that are trying to create that kind of passive income through courses that yes. they should be really aware of um but so if you run into an issue where you see that somebody else is using your name, if we go back to that, how trademarkable is it? If it's purely descriptive, if it's super generic, if I can understand what you're doing in the way that a five-year-old would, if I can look it up in a dictionary and get it immediately, mm -hmm. the other person probably can't trademark it either. Mm -hmm. So you might be okay. Um, okay. If you're really concerned about it, lawyers can draw up something called a coexistence agreement, which basically says, hey, person using the same name as me, selling something remarkably similar, uh, we're going to agree not to sue each other over this name. Okay? Thanks. <laughs> um, that's helpful. <laughs> that's always an option. Um, but if you found somebody is selling something remarkably similar to your course or your interior design mm -hmm. services and it's already registered, yeah, it's time to go back to the drawing board. Um, because they okay. can and should tell you to shut down the name because they have to enforce their trademark as well. 
But if you do get to that moment where you're able to do passive income and create the course, we can talk about trademark for the name, right? The brand idea, what people say to each other when they're describing you as a business, Mm -hmm. as a a service provider. Um, But what we don't talk about a lot is the content itself of your course, the videos, the recordings, the audio, the material, the workbooks. uh, Right. And I think that's important for the audience because we do have a lot of business coaches and Mm -hmm. and people that do interior designers that have passive income, whether it's for end-to-end design clients or other interior designers. So I think that's important. So tell us us what you got there. Um, So this is protected by a different area of trademark, of intellectual property law called copyright, right? We we have these... There's three areas of intellectual property law for anybody who really wants to go back to school. You have trademark, copyright, and patents. The difference is when do we use what, right? The trademark, like we've been talking about, is for brand protection, identifiers, something that somebody recognizes as yours that tells them it's your business. Hmm. Copyright protects your content. It protects everything that's in that course. So if one of your students goes on there and decides to copy all your stuff and go release, you know, Instagram for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Instagram for, for interior designers 2.0. Mm-hmm. Well, that name's descriptive. We can't protect that name, but we can definitely protect your content. Yeah. And particularly there is a way to upload all of the content together onto the U S copyright site. There is a fascinating, uh, new virtual small claims court of sorts, um, called case that just opened up, it was about a year and a half ago, summer of 2021. Yeah. Oh, it's new. It's new. It's It's still kind of figuring its its, its stuff out. It still has that that new copyright smell. Oh, yeah. Shiny. Shiny and new book smell. (laughs) Uh, But if your content is already copyrighted, if you've already registered the copyright, you can go into that courtroom and you can get something... Basically, there's something called damages in the law, but it essentially says, if you've already registered this, we guarantee that you will get a judgment of at least this amount of money for every piece of content that somebody used without your permission. Hey, so I want to talk to you a second and ask you, what would it mean to you and your bottom line to get an actual paying client? from Instagram. Are you an interior designer who hasn't gotten any leads from Instagram at all? What kind of money are you leaving on the table? Well, enter Instagram for interior designers, our online digital course. If you're struggling to showcase your work on social media and you feel like you're not reaching your target audience and missing out on potential clients, then you need to check out our online marketing course, Instagram for interior designers. With over 1 billion, with a B folks, monthly active users, Instagram is a perfect platform to showcase your design skills and reach your target audience. And our course is specifically designed for interior designers who want to learn how to create a compelling Instagram presence, attract followers, and Cha-ching, turn them into clients. In this course, you'll learn how to create stunning visuals, write compelling captions, use hashtags effectively, and engage with your audience. You'll also learn how to use Instagram's powerful features, such as Instagram stories and reels to showcase your work and reach a wider audience. But that's not all. Our course also includes expert tips and strategies for growing your Instagram following and converting your followers into clients. You'll learn how to create a content strategy, collaborate with other designers, influencers, vendors, and use Instagram advertising to promote your business. The best part? Of course, 
of course, of course, our course is 100% online. You can learn at your very own pace and on your own schedule, and you'll have lifetime access to all the course materials. That way, you can refer back to them anytime you need a refresher, you need to update, etc. So if you're an interior designer looking to take your social media game to the next level, sign up for Instagram for Interior Designers today. Head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Check out Wingnut Academy. Drop down and check out that course. Oh, and did I forget to mention, there is a money back guarantee. If in 90 days you don't increase your reach and engagement and your brand awareness by completing this course and implementing what's inside, you'll get your money back. That's a no-brainer. What would it mean to you to sign one client from Instagram? Come on, folks. Head on over to wingnutacademy.com, wingnutsocial.com. That could add up. But how do you keep track of that? How do you know? Is it just like a Google search or, you know what I'm saying? That sounds problematic. A lot of that comes from just, yeah, keeping an eye on things. There are services that will will look through content and all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times you can start with just a takedown notice with the platform that's hosting it. But yeah, you've got to be notified somehow. Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a can of worms though. But I mean, it's good to know that that's there. Exactly. Being able to at least recover something monetarily wise, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. helpful. Yeah, it definitely is. It's yeah. definitely good that the, it's not the wild, wild west. And there is some kind of recourse for designers who are yeah. who have passive income. And yeah. I, a lot of my friends and compatriots in this business have their academies and their courses and their photography course. courses and stuff. So that's, that's very helpful. And that's good to know. So when we have our trademark or our copyright, um, we already said it's not a set and forget kind of thing. Is there there are there any tools or any monitoring tools? You kind of alluded that there are some that we can go to just to check and make sure that they're not being violated. There are some. Um, the trademark monitoring tools are pricey for Ooh, a single business ouch. to access, typically the good ones anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh, they're better designed for agencies to run searches for mm-hmm. trademarks. A lot of lawyers will offer monitoring services for you mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, and then that will come with, hey, we found this many people infringing on your stuff. Would you like us to send <laughs> cease and desist letters to them and see where it goes? And that costs money. That costs money. Yeah. Uh, you'll find some lawyers that set up different different arrangements, though. There are some trademark specific law firms that will set up monitoring for you and include a certain number of cease and desist letters to tell people to stop using the name or to pay you a certain amount of money or whatever the case may be. Um, photographers, it's a little bit easier for the, the copyright protection once they have their stuff registered because you can just do an image search on Google. There yeah. are softwares that are starting to create um, automated, not lists, but where they'll go Google search every one of your images kind of once a month or something. Uh, Those do exist. It's harder for content in the form of videos though. Mm, Yeah. And it's significantly harder if somebody takes the transcript from your video and just goes and re-records the entire thing. Hmm. Yeah. Why why do people suck? It's just, (laughs) you know, if I knew the answer to that, I would be a lot richer. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so let me, let me get to let me get to the big money, the big dollar question that I'm sure that listeners are thinking. Uh, we've all seen if anyone's ever tried to get a trademark or to do it yourself, it's a little bit of a can of worms. So we've Ooh. all seen the DIY websites yeah. and you know that are they're available and they usually are um, questionable. They, they start off with a low 
barrier to entry price wise, but then they the the fees rack up. Of so course they do. Ninety nine dollars. We'll we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll so. submit your trademark, and by the end of it, you're like, this is now sixteen hundred dollars. What happened? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because there's steps and they're yeah. in the process and everything. So, why is it better to hire a, a flesh and blood carbon based life form attorney to do this for on the behalf of your business <laughs> rather than just going through one of those sites? Uh, so, there's there's a few things here. First and foremost, you will have an attorney of record. You will have a person that is responsible for communicating between the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and you. You will have somebody, if something goes wrong with your application, who will call up the examiner, the person who looks at your application, and say, why isn't this moving forward? What do you need from me? Why have you asked this very strange question that doesn't make sense based on this application because I understand the law and you don't have to go Google and try to figure out what's going on and take wild guesses at it and sit on the phone for three hours trying to get an examiner on the line. Yeah. First and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like hell. Yeah, so. <laughs> it sucks. It's like, why do you, you don't want to do that? I, I don't really yeah. like doing that part, but I like yelling at them occasionally. That part's kind of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, the second part of that is it's the same as when you use TurboTax to do your taxes. At the time of this recording, it's, it's tax time in the U.S. Yeah. And if you've ever tried to do anything beyond having a W-2 job on TurboTax, it is a nightmare. Amen. And look, as a software, I'm not knocking TurboTax. Tax code sucks. TurboTax does a very good job of popping up and showing you the explanations of why they're asking you this question, but it still requires you to have such an integrated knowledge of tax law and like a genuine understanding of the definitions of the bizarre words that they're throwing out in front of you that nobody uses in day-to-day life Yeah. to actually understand and be able to go through the software correctly the best trademark software robot guys are not as good as TurboTax on a bad day, uh, on a good day. <laughs> oh, really? No. Oh, okay. No yeah. Uh, I think it's like anything else. And we, we talk about that here is that you, if you're an interior designer, you're probably not a tax attorney. You're not an intellectual property attorney or trademark attorney is to delegate outside of the scope of your genius there to somebody who can do it, do it well, make that investment so you can free up your bandwidth to run your interior design firm. You don't, you don't want to, right? Yeah. And I have made that mistake. I've gone through back in the early days, trying to trademark my own stuff with the $99, a thousand dollars later, still not sure if I did anything right. Yep. And then, uh, and then a year later, when you figured out that you have it, you can come back and hire the actual carbon based life form (laughs) that'll do it for you properly anyway, and spend more money in the long run and have wasted a year trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, there's there's an expression that I like. I used to use in my interior design business when people are like, oh my gosh, why is this furniture or sofa so expensive? And because you're only going to buy it once. <laughs> it's called only cry once. Yep. And then you, you know, that lasts you for 10, 15, 20 years. And then instead of buying the cheap stuff and you're buying it 10 times again and again and again. So we actually, we renovated the apartment that I'm in here in Brazil uh, a little bit over a year ago. Uh, it was in really questionable condition, particularly the kitchen when we first arrived. And we actually, we hired an interior designer to do the design of the kitchen and do the relayout and all of that. And she was absolutely wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Don't you like it when things work out? It's great. <laughs> like yes. Perfect match. Um, and she actually found it, here in Brazil, we only get cold water in the kitchen. We don't get hot water. So mm-hmm. taps generally only have one actual output. 
So, but in a kitchen sink, I still want to be able to like move the tap around to do dishes and wash things out. So she had found one that's literally a flexible, bendable hose that you can shape into that pretty like curve, high curve if you want. But if not, you can like move it around in the sink and it holds that position. It doesn't like snap back into place. So you can move it and set it wherever you want. So she found us one uh, at the store that I mean, it wasn't terribly expensive, but it wasn't cheap either. And my husband decided I can find it cheaper. He's like, oh, dear God, please let the woman do her job. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> of course, he found it cheaper. It lasted four, five months before yeah. the actual flexible hose separated from the bottom. And we got this leak and we couldn't use the sink for a couple days. And I was like, I wonder if you go back to the store and just take a peek and see if they still have that one that, that Fernanda, our designer, had actually recommended in the first place. And he's like, you know... <laughs> I think I'll do that. Bless his heart. Every, he came home two every, hours later with that one. Every interior <laughs> designer out there is going, aha. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. This is what happens. Yeah. All right. Samantha, I have to ask, you know, is there anything that I've forgotten to, to uh, ask you the risk of being redundant on this topic before we get into the fire room? Oh, goodness. I, look, we could keep going into this forever. But all I would say <laughs> is the only thing I would really add to this, whenever you're mm-hmm. naming your business, whenever you're naming a signature service, whenever you're naming your course, there's really there's there's two things I recommend. One, try to come up with a name that isn't descriptive. And I know the marketers are going to hate me for that because that makes it easy to market. But the best way that I've found to come up with a name that can be trademarkable is to go mind map all the words that you like and then grab two of them and slam them together. Right. (laughs) Literally slam them together. Grab like one. one... Potato buttons. Yes. I I have a (laughs) I saw on on TikTok the other day, somebody actually had created an egg farm and they were calling it butt nuggets. Which I think is hilarious. It's it's like the happiest <laughs> name for eggs in the world to me. I think it's but brilliant. <laughs> I can think of so many applications for that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but if, if you can do this, if you can take two words and slam them together to basically create a new word, you have a much mm-hmm. higher chance of actually trademarking the thing. And if they're recognizable right. in the form that you slam them together, then you're still going to get the descriptiveness that marketers want you to do that make it easy to sell what it is that you're, you're selling, right? Whether that be the course yeah. or your passive income or not. You have to market a lot harder though for that name. For Instagram for interior designers is really SEO friendly. It so. is SEO friendly, <laughs> but that's where I, I, I would argue that a good tagline can come in handy. Yeah, there you go. Like a subheading, a uh-huh. sub thing. Yeah, we have Wingnut Academy. Yeah. I don't think there's too many of those. I need to trademark that. We'll, okay. we'll talk. There we'll you talk go. after the show. Samantha Bradshaw, now I have to ask you, are you ready? Oh God. For the What Up Wingnut round. All right. Prepared. Let's go. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Probably going to be something like crazy cat lady. I mean, let's just, let's own it at this point. I think we've set that. We've established this. So yeah, I like your choice. Oh, or hang on. Mm -hmm. Can I have a backup? Can I have an underlying hashtag? Mm -hmm. This is one that my my husband likes going around a lot. Um, Said board game nights are, everybody has fun. Mm -hmm. And then Samantha wins. (laughs) I'm competitive too. I hear hear that. (laughs) Othello. Othello is my game. Othello. I love Othello. It is. It's very strategic, Uh, but I digress. Betrayal at the House on the Hill, I think, is one of my top ones still. It's been going for a while. That's a game? It's a game. Betrayal? What is it? Betrayal at the House on the Hill. I'll have to check that out. It's brilliant. Okay. All right. 
40 stories. And every time you like find the omen that makes you're exploring the house as you go. And each room you go into, you find stuff. When you find this, whatever number omen, the story begins and it basically becomes one person against everybody else. And it's a horror story. It is 40 different horror stories. That sounds very involved. I have to check that out. But it's so much fun. You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have your one favorite food forever. What is it? Oh, I I think what I'm really going to have to have is is, is coconut water. (laughs) It exists already on the island. (laughs) You're on an island. I know, but like it's, it's... Look, there's electrolytes, there's a little bit of, of, of uh, calories in there, and I'm not going to die of dehydration. There's also like six bottles of it in my fridge and four coconut trees outside of my window. I'm sure the man will go knock down some coconuts that I can pick up tomorrow. Listen, if that's what you want, that's what you got. Coconut water it is. Last but not least, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally. <sighs> professionally, I think the book that really kind of kick stuff off for me would have been We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Okay. Um, she has a, a fascinating way of, of addressing how to get businesses out of hobby mode and into scaling mode that I've never really come across. Nice. Um, but to my clients, I generally recommend Profit First. It's mm. a cash flow system that, although yeah. the person who wrote it, who was it, Mike, Mike Michalowicz? Mike Michalowicz. Yeah. He's been on the show. Yeah. Um, his cash flow system helps keep businesses out of cash flow trouble, but it also yeah. lines up really nicely with the separation of money that you have to maintain between yourself and the business for mm-hmm. an LLC or a corporation to actually have the protection that you want it to have, which is if your business gets sued, nobody can take your house. If you mix <laughs> your money together, that protection can go away. And his yeah. system keeps that very, very secure. So it serves yeah. a lot of purposes, his system. I think it's great for newer business owners. Yeah, I, I love Mike Michalowicz. He was a great guest on the show. That'll be in the show notes at wingnetsocial.com. Um, terrific recommendation. That's something that uh, a lot of interior designers who are listening are using that system. So Good. great recommendation. Good. I'm glad to hear it. It makes my job a lot easier too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Samantha Bradshaw, please tell the listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your services, and we will call it a day. Sounds great. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Inline Legal. That's the handle. You can find me on my website over at www.inlinelegal.com. And if you think you have a name worth trademarking, we do have a quiz that you can go take at 2 a.m. in your pajamas. You don't have to talk to a real-life person. Uh, that will help you figure out exactly if your name, if, if it makes sense for you to get a trademark at where you're at in your business, and if your name is potentially trademarkable. You can find nice. that over at www.inlinelegal.com slash trademark quiz. Very nice. That sounds like a very helpful tool. We'll have to go check that out. I, I have so. a lot of trademarks I've been, I've been cooking around. Yeah, so. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much. All right, folks, there you go. Anything you wanted to know about trademarking and copywriting your business that can be covered in a 30-minute podcast, you're very welcome. Samantha Bradshaw certainly knows her stuff. And how genius was I to know that I could not trademark Instagram for interior designers? Let's give myself a pat on the back. Thank you. And the crowd goes wild. Anyhow, Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. If you need help with this for your interior design business, or even if you need help in figuring out uh, what should you be trademarking? Is, is if you have an eponymously named is that eponymously is that a word? Jerry Suridi, uh, interior design firm, is it worth trademarking? Are we are we changing our name to something else? Head on over to Samantha's website. 
That will all be in the show notes at wingnutsocial.com and, and take the little quiz and see where that leads you. I think that that was very um, enlightening or it would be enlightening to take that and see where you fall on that. So Wingnut Social, of course, is trademarked. That's the super most important thing. She lit a fire under my ass to think about doing some of the other things, the copywriting and the uh, maybe some logo trademarks. Thank you so much for being a, a terrific guest, Samantha, and making a, what could be a very dry topic into something fun and entertaining. We do hope you enjoyed this. Remember to head on over to wingnutsocial.com if you need help with marketing your interior design business online, on the digitals, in the, in the virtual realm of social media, or in the search engine optimization space. We do both of them there things. And um, remember, until next week, to get out there, get uncomfortable be hella great you've reached the end of this episode of designed by wingnut social but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the wingnut way head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing we'll see you on the next episode of designed by wingnut social your digital marketing tightly fastened You'll also learn how to use Instagram's powerful, powerful, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Uh, trademarking and trademarking, <laughs> trademarking. Hey kids and welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. I am your host, uh, decorator. I am, I, who am I? Who am, who am I? Isn't that the question? Who am I? What is the meaning of life? Hey kids, and welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. I am your host, interior decorator, Darla Powell, and this show is all about the business of your butt. Good boy, Mango.